Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. On Christmas Eve, we gathered in Ellerslie's chapel and had a most beautifully scripted evening of worship and meditation, celebrating our Savior's birth. Pastor Eric Ludy gave a message entitled, The New Birth. We celebrate the birth of Christ 2,000 years ago, and yet we freshly yield to Him being born again in us. As the carol sings, where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I'm just going to read a few things to you, and I want you to, if you need to close your eyes, do. Uh, if it helps you to read, uh, do. But I just want you to meditate upon the highness of God first, because you can just sort of feel where this would be going. We're going to talk about the greatness and the grandness of our God, and then let's be astounded at the fact that this grand and great God came so low to meet us. The highness of God, a meditation on his knowledge and understanding. As it says in Psalm 147, 5, my God's understanding is, is mispar, which means incalculable, infinite, and beyond measure. He knows the things that come into my mind, every one of them. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom I have to do. He knows and proclaims the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. When he calls for me to gird up my loins like a man and demands me to answer, when he asks me where I was when he laid the foundations of the earth, when he commands me to lay bare my full understanding, I, like Job, am left speechless. For I do not know what he knows. I do not see what he sees. My God has entered the springs of the sea and has trolled their depths. The gates of death have been opened unto him, and he has seen the doors of the shadow of death. He has entered into the treasures of the snow, has seen the treasures of the hail, which he has reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. When the kings of the earth inquire and ask, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Our God Jehovah is not like other gods who are impotent and wholly unable to reveal and then interpret the secret dreams of kings, but rather he is a God that revealeth secrets and maketh known what shall be in the latter days. He is able to declare future events before they come to pass and declare the former things that have already passed with perfect understanding. Our God knows all things. So ask me what my God knows and I will answer. My God knows everything. His understanding is infinite. Every word spoken, every word left unspoken, every thought, every dream, every sign, wonder, every inclination of the heart. He knows my down sitting and my uprising. He understands my thoughts afar off. He compasses my path and my lying down and is acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, my Lord knows it all together. My God knows the intimate movement of the smallest cell in the remotest part of the universe. He can see the entirety of the heavens and knows the moment-by-moment -moment experience of every living creature. He knows every probability, every course of action, every microscopic push of every microscopic atom that is necessary to accomplish his every errand of glory. He knows everything the enemy devises, every trap laid at the feet of his saints, every fiery arrow prior to it even being pulled from its quiver. He knoweth what is in the darkness. My God has never taken off guard. He is fully aware and fully knowledgeable of every secret counsel of darkness and every conspiracy to undermine the purposes of his cross. He knows all that can happen, all that may happen, all that certainly must happen, and all that will happen. There is no blindness in his gaze, no shadow in his wisdom, no cloud in his understanding, for he is the light, the true light, a great light, the light of the world. The highness of God, a meditation on his power, authority, and preeminence. 
My God has measured the waters of this earth in the hollow of his hand, meted out heaven with a span, comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. To him the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. When he heads off to war, there are none that can stay his hand. He sits as king between the mighty cherubim above all, over all, and in control of all. The creator of the heavens and the earth, God of all the kingdoms of this earth. He combined the sweet influences of Pleiades and loosed the bands of Orion. He can set the dominion of his ordinances in the earth. He can send forth lightning, number the clouds, and stay the bottles of heaven. He is the mighty God, the everlasting God, over all God blessed forever. The God of the whole earth, and his throne is forever and ever. He is the Almighty, which is and which was and which is to come, the creator of all things, the upholder of all things, the father of eternity, the beginning and the ending, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. He is the rock of ages, the head of every man, the head of all principality and power, Lord of lords, Lord both of the dead and living, Lord of all, Lord over all. He is the prince of princes, the prince of the kings of the earth, he that filleth all in all, the king of kings, the righteous judge, the king of saints, king of nations, king over all the earth, the king of glory, crowned with many crowns, and he sitteth king forever. And before him all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Before the mountains were brought forth or ever had he had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, he was God. When the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against him, he shall laugh and shall hold them in derision. He is bound by nothing but his own nature and his own law. He is not limited in power nor governed in action by the will or the pleasure of any angel, demon, or man. But rather he is limited and governed only by the dictums and restraints of his loving prerogative to gain for himself a peculiar people to establish his kingdom in this earth and to shed abroad his glory unto the heathen. And in the not-so-distant future, when he will return to bring terrible judgment to nations and his feet shall touch down on Mount Olivet and see it divide asunder, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. All will behold the Ancient of Days, whose eyes are as a flame of fire, whose voice is as the sound of many waters, and whose countenance is as the sun shining in all its strength. They will see the fiery stream issuing forth from before him, the thousand thousands ministering unto him, and the ten thousand times ten thousand that stand before him at the judgment. And all will behold the one at whose feet all crowns will be cast, for he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for he has created all things, and for his pleasure they are and were created. So in concert with the noble King David, I pronounce, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. I think it is hard for us to fully comprehend that. Most of us, even as I was reading it, phased out somewhere along the line because it's a little too big for us. God is too big for us to comprehend, to know, to understand. And yet, he has made himself knowable. He has revealed himself unto these finite little creatures. These little diddly squat humans that have no business encountering such a God communicating with such a God, entering into the presence of such a God. And yet the great message 
that we celebrate, and I hope we celebrate it every day of the year and not just on Christmas, but since Christmas is a memorial, a tribute to the fact that our God has come in the flesh, let's take full advantage of it and let us remember what our God has done in taking this great highness, this king of all kings, all power, all authority, the earth is his footstool, and he has come to us, sinful creatures, who are lost without a hope in this world. And he has made a way in a manger. He has somehow made a way for us through his cross work to enter into intimate fellowship with him for all of eternity. Wow. The great condescension, the highness of God entering the stable of manhood. Now, I know most of us don't think about the fact that the highness of God was entering the stable of manhood when he entered into Mary. Because, of course, she was a woman, so that would be the stable of womanhood, but that's an improper way of saying it. It's better for us men to take the stable term on. But you know what? It's exactly what he was doing. Conceived of by the Holy Spirit, God entered a woman. He entered one of us. The great condescension. It says in Luke 1, 30-35, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What I just read to you was the gospel. However, what most of you heard was a story. What you heard was history. But I want you to realize that what we just read is the very present gospel. And that is that the Son of God is intended to be born again. It's called the new birth. You see, you are meant to be a carrier in your spiritual womb of the very thing Mary was a carrier of. And it comes upon you the same way it came upon her. You are to be overshadowed with the very presence of God known as the Holy Spirit. And within you will be a new life. A life that when it bears its fruits, if you will, which is what it's termed in Galatians and throughout the New Testament, it's called the fruits of the spiritual life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guess what? Who is that? That's Jesus. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, Therefore also that holy thing, that fruit which shall be born of thee, shall be called the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus Christ. We are intended to bring about a revelation in this earth of the life of Jesus. So we go back 2,000 years ago and we see the gospel lived out in and through this young woman. The term in the Greek is spargonao to wrap in swaddling clothes. 
What an amazing thought to think that this highness that we meditated upon, this extraordinary brilliance, power, might, majesty, would come and be wrapped in the clothing of humanity to be wrapped in a little girl that was not recognized as anything important, which is proven as we will continue the story, because when she knocked on the door of the inn, if she had been a king or a queen, they would have cleared out the inn. Instead, she was a nobody. A nobody that clothed the omnipotence of God. A nobody. It's very important that you understand this because this is the gospel. You too are a nobody that has been selected by God to be clothing, to be the skin, if you will, that would house the little baby. Omnipotence wrapped in weakness. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, that's a strange sign, by the way. I know we're used to this. I just finished reading uh, my kids. Uh, the, in the book title, it said the best Christmas pageant ever. But for whatever reason, I remember the title being the greatest Christian, uh, Christmas pageant ever. But we just finished that today, this afternoon. And it's one of the, the themes in it is that we all sort of begin to harden over and glaze over when the Christmas story is brought to us. And it has sort of an aura about it that you don't touch, you don't question, you just sort of listen to it. In fact, when my parents would feel the obligatory responsibility to read the story on Christmas morning, we as children endured it. We tried to have good attitudes, but we were staring past the story to the gifts. But of course, my parents wanted to be spiritual and to remind us that it's not about the gifts, it's about Jesus, the gift. And as a kid, you just want to put up with that to get past that. But I want us to realize this story is everything to us. And every morning is supposed to be Christmas morning. There's probably some song that was written about that. But every morning is a remembrance and a meditation on this amazing reality. That what is the sign? You shall find the babe wrapped in weakness. That's basically what it's saying. You shall find the babe wrapped in a position and in a situation that you would never expect the king of kings to be in. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a feeding trough, and that will be a sign to you. <laughs> That's a strange sign to pick. We're just used to it. But I want you to realize that is a strange sign to pick, just as strange as it would be to say, and you will find the living God clothed in a little girl. She will bear the Most High God. You will find Jewish nation, you will find this very God clothed in the Gentiles. And they will bear this God. And the Jews would say, no way could that foul people carry the perfection and the purity of Almighty God. This will be a sign to you. You will see the babe, sparganao, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough. 
Dekomai. It means to take with the hand, to take hold of, to grant access to a visitor, to not refuse friendship, to not reject. The picture here, the mental picture in the Greek of this concept is someone knocks on the door, and if anyone comes to your door seeking entry, needing entry, then to dekomai is to take with the hand and to allow them in. We see this word in Mark 10. See where receive is big? It says, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not decomai the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. If he does not receive it, if he does not open up to it as a little child. You see, what we are about to discuss is not seen through adult lenses. The adult lens will turn away Mary and Joseph at the door. They can't see it. But a little child sees a pregnant girl. And for whatever reason, that little child is able to appropriate the fact that something is special about this little pregnant girl. And a little child is willing to open up and allow Mary and Joseph in, even though it would seem that the inn is full. The little child says, Well, then, we will make room because this is no insignificant child. We must receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Then it says in Matthew 10, He that receives me receives him that sent me. Okay, now I want you to realize, I know this doesn't sound like the Christmas story, but this is the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph came to the place of birth, the place prophesied of that the Messiah would come from, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is awaiting the birth of the king. Bethlehem has been promised out of you, O little town of Bethlehem, will be born the king of kings. And yet when that king came, when the kingdom of God came knocking, there was no room for it in the end. When the kingdom of God comes knocking on your life, is there room? Because the child will open up. But how about you? Because this is Christianity. This is the gospel. If your inn is already full, guess what? Even just natural reason would say, yeah, we have no room for you. Our lives are packed full of everything but Jesus Christ. Yet I want you to realize that the kingdom of heaven can only be received by those who empty the inn and say, the king has arrived. I know all of you are snug in your bed and it's late at night. Not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse in the inn. Up, everyone, up and out of here. The king has arrived. I have a stable nearby. You can all sleep in there tonight. But the king gets the inn. See, what this is a picture of in the bigger bigger sense is the Jewish nation was the one prepared to receive the Messiah. And yet when the Messiah came to the Jews, they did not have room for him. And as a result, he was born in a stable. Who is that stable? The Gentiles. That is the bigger picture. However, on the small level, this is each one of us as individuals. 
emptying the inn. The term for inn in Scripture is used twice, and it's the word cataluma. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus is going to accomplish his purposes here on earth, with or without your inn. Isn't that an amazing thought? However, he designed your inn. You're an inn. I know it seems strange to think of yourself as a hotel, but you are literally the inn that was designed to be the birthplace of the king. It's not supposed to be the stable. It's supposed to be you. You just happen to be a stable. But you're the inn. God intends to be born inside of you, and he's knocking. However, you may have a lot of things going on in your life. You may have a lot of customers. You know how bad of an idea it would be for this innkeeper to kick out all the people in his inn? Bad business. I mean, this is just a small town called Bethlehem. I mean, if he starts getting a reputation for kicking his clients out on the street late in the middle of the night, it's not going to go well for his business. And I want you to realize the testimony of the Gospels is this. Men that are fishermen leave behind their nets. Men that are doctors and lawyers leave behind their practices. Men that are football players leave behind the football. Men that are musicians leave behind the harp and the lyre. They walk away from everything that once made them successful. The king has come, and there is no other priority on earth. I don't care what it costs your business. The king has come. Empty the inn and let him have his rightful place. And you shall say unto the goodman of the house, the master says unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Now we're at the end of Luke. Jesus is literally going to have his Passover with the disciples. This is the second time the word inn is used. The term is guest chamber here. It's cataluma, same word. As there was no room in the inn. Same word. And you shall say unto the goodman of the house. You know who that is? That's the innkeeper. The goodman of the house. He's the one that manages the guest chamber or the cataluma or the inn. Who's the guest? Who's the goodman of the house in your body? You are. <laughs> you're the inn and you're also the goodman of the house. And you shall say unto the goodman of the house, the master says unto thee, where is the inn where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Guess who's wanting to come on in and eat the Passover? To celebrate the cross work, not just to celebrate his birth. The inn is not just a birthplace. It is a birthplace because of what he accomplished. The Passover truly is a celebration of the cross. And Jesus Christ wants to come in and celebrate that cross work with his disciples. And he's knocking. And he's saying the master requires a guest chamber. The master wants to come in and celebrate the Passover. What do you do when Jesus comes knocking? We have a picture of Elisha in the Old Testament that literally took his oxen and his 
oxen sled and burned the wooden sled and offered up his ox and then fed the surrounding community with his entire livelihood and then went and followed Elijah. We have seen a pattern in Scripture when men and women behold the real purpose for why they're here on earth. They sell all. They leave all. And they go and follow the master. Well, here we have a picture of even what Jesus says is the gospel. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat, Jesus sat at meat or eating, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. In another uh, gospel uh, rendition of this, it says that it was worth a year's wages and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do good to them. But, you, but me you have not always. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of for memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. This is serious stuff. You see, what is happening before us actually is something that inspires Jesus' greatest enemies to go up and betray him. What is happening in this story? This woman has this box of spikenard. It's a perfume. And it's so valuable, it's worth a year's wages. And when she beholds Jesus, she goes into her personal pantry, and she takes out her most precious thing, and she breaks that perfume out onto Jesus. And those around say, this is a waste. And they'll say the same thing about you. You know what they would say to the goodman of the house? When he says, hey, everyone out. This little couple, this young couple from Nazareth is here. And I'm giving them the whole in. And what would everyone say? You're throwing your career down the drain, buddy. You're going to actually kick me out into the streets? I'm an important person. I know people in Israel. And I will have you shut down. You don't kick me out into the streets. I want you to realize when Jesus comes to your inn, there's going to be voices inside of you that are going to be clamoring for attention, saying, you can't kick me out. I've been here all these years. This has always been my room. And guess what? As the goodman of the house, you say, in the authority of the one who's in that little girl's belly... Get out of here. The king has come. And he gets that which he has come to get. And he is intended to be born inside of each of you. It's not an amazing thought. Inside of each of us. You're an in. But you can do it right. Whereas they did it wrong 2,000 years ago when Jesus comes knocking on your in. You can kick everyone out and say the whole inn belongs to you, Jesus. Make this your palace. Receiving the king 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who's saying that? That's Jesus talking? Behold, I stand at the door of your inn, and I'm knocking. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. He wants to have the Passover meal with you. If any man will hear and opens up to him, he will come in and he will sup with you. I know we don't typically sup. That's what we're going to do tonight. A little supping. And Jesus wants to come in and sup with you. He wants to share his Passover meal and all the benefits of it. And he wants to say, take this juice and drink it. This is... This is symbolic of his very blood shed, that you would enter into a new covenant of life. And this very bread that he has broken, his very body has been given that you might become his body. You might become the body of Christ. What a privilege. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 is Paul talking. And he says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You know another way of saying that? Don't you know that your body is the inn of the, for the very life of Jesus? Which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Did you know that your inn was bought with a price? It's not even yours. As the good man of the house, you're saying, well, you know, I want to do some good business practices here, and if I kick everyone out, you know, my business is going to go south. Whose business is it? It belongs to him. Let him do with his business whatever he wants. It's his business. Let him in. Let him have what he purchased. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your inn, in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.